Hey guys, this is Gary, and welcome to another episode of Pod Wars. On Pod Wars, we like to dissect Star Wars, Marvel, and our favorite little nuggets of geeky media. I'm here today with one of my favorite boys on Earth, Evan. Yes, I'm always when you do the intro, I'm like, am I gonna be his 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 baby like last time we recorded? I'm I'm glad I'm your favorite today. Yeah. What's up, everybody? And the other person, Justice. What's up, guys? I'm the regular. I'm the committed one. Just got to say that. <laughs> well, if you can't tell, we're in a great mood today because we have an awesome interview. It was really awesome to talk to Jesse Flowers, the voice of Toph. Um, so many cool things in that interview. It was just great to get to meet her. Expect plenty of Avatar juiciness. Plenty of diving into Toph, learning the behind the scenes, the info you only get on Pod Wars, and some well-timed blind jokes. I'm excited for you guys to listen to this. Hey guys, we're really excited to have on this show Jessie Flower, and you might know her from a resurging popular cartoon, Avatar The Last Airbender, as the voice actress of Toph. Jessie, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Thank you for having me, Twinkle Toes. <laughs> hey! <laughs> love it, love it. So, first off, b- before we dive into this, we'd like to know just how did you end up onto Avatar? Because you, you got onto that show as a kid, too. Um, can yes. you kind of tell us the process of how you ended up finding the show and getting that opportunity? Of course. So, I was uh, we actually were just you know talking about this i was born in southern indiana and then we went west my mother and i when i was four because she wanted to be an actress and i think just you know by being around it all i ended up starting acting so uh, i started when i was about five and i started in musical theater and then went into uh, some commercial work and um then around six, seven years old, I went through an awkward growing phase, and uh, my agent's like, "Hey, there's this thing called voiceover where they don't have to, you know, see your face um, as you, you know, lose all your teeth and your hair is, you know, chopped really short." <laughs> um, so I started in voiceover. It actually started uh, with Finding Nemo. Finding Nemo was my very first voiceover gig ever, um, and then it kind of just grew and grew. I was good at taking direction, and I had a relatively you know, clear toned voice that was good for like schools of fish or, you know, people on a playground, you know, stuff like that. Uh, and so I got, got an audition for Meng in season one, you know, she has the thick pigtails and has the crush on Aang. Uh, and when I came in to record that, they would, are, they were already talking about making Toph into a girl. Cause originally she was supposed to be, you know, kind of something similar to Bolin-esque from Legend of Korra, uh, and, or like the boulder, some sort of combination of the two. And, um, yeah, apparently when I came in, they were like, ooh, that's kind of the energy that we want if Toph's going to be a girl. And I found this out later. Giancarlo apparently was like, yeah, Jessie's great. We should call her in for Toph. And I was like, oh, you're flattering me. Stop it. Um, so, yeah. So that's uh, kind of how I got called in to you know, audition for Toph. And then they, they liked me. And here we are. So that's kind of the shortened version. <laughs> I do appreciate, too, for the show, because how old were you when you were voice acting for Toph? I was, I believe when I first started recording for Toph, I was 12. I was 11, I believe, when I recorded Mang, and then 12 and 13 for Toph. Which I appreciate that they actually had kids doing the voice acting, because so many of these uh, voice actors are like, 
older adults. Like I think mm-hmm. we we met at a uh, a con one time. The voice actor for Naruto from the anime, and it was like a fifty year old woman. So oh, I yeah. like that. <laughs> I like that it was actually a kid voicing for a kid. Yeah. yeah, and I think Zach and myself were really you know the only kid kids. They had a couple come in for other characters, but everybody else was around you know eighteen. 18 to 20, that little range. They weren't like, you know, necessarily old, old. I mean, Gray actually was pregnant uh, when during the time that she was recording uh, for Zula. That happened. And I was like, whoa, that's so cool. Um, and it's so funny seeing like a really sweet, she's so nice. Gray is so, so nice. If you've ever met her, talk to her. And she's so kind. And then she was like pregnant. You're like, oh, she's such a sweet mother. And then you see her like start to record and she's like, I will end you. And I'm like, oh, gosh. <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, it was it was cool being a kid, um, you know, in the recording booth. Um, a quick random question. Did you say the line, don't touch the butt in Finding Nemo? <laughs> I wish. I wish. No, I I think the closest line uh, when the, the little turtles, the sea turtles are like attacking uh, attacking is a strong word. They're kind of surrounding, bombarding. There we go. <laughs> bombarding uh, uh, Marlon, Merlin, right? It's been a while since I've said all these names. I think it's Marlon, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's Marlon. And one of them says, do your stripes come off? And I think that one was me from kind of all the, the berating of questions. Uh, so that's the closest one where you can actually hear a specific line that I said. Hey, that's a good, that's, <laughs> hey, that's a great scene to be in with, yeah. the, with the surfer <laughs> turtle bros. <laughs> So one thing I always wonder, especially with voice acting, is how, how much of the story do they give you and how do you get into that actress mindset when you obviously don't have the situation around you? Yeah. Uh, well, they sent us the script for the episode usually ahead of time. So we would have a second to read it over, see what you know your lines were. Um, and I think, I mean, this is one of the nice things about being a kid. I don't think there's much finagling to get into the mindset necessarily. I mean, I was super creative as a kid. I feel like lots of us are pretty, you know, creative, have big imaginations. So at that point in time, it was very much just like, oh, cool. And then I, you know, bend a flaming rock towards their head. And then we like jump on a flying bison. Great. Sounds, sounds good. You know, like there wasn't this disconnect from reality. Um, but I think it always helps being in the booth and usually they have at least some of the animation done and it's on a screen so you can kind of see what has already been made. So that's a helpful thing to just kind of immerse yourself because you already see yourself or see the other character reacting, um, that sort of thing. So that was definitely helpful once I got into the booth. But aside from that, it was just kind of like once I got started and once I was on a roll, it was like, oh yeah, I'm, you know, I'm tough. And I go in and I just record as tough every week, every Tuesday, every other Tuesday, something like that. So it, it came, it came just pretty naturally at that point. <laughs> so Toph is obviously a very loved character. I'm, I'm more of a Sokka guy. He's like my number one. And then, and then Toph is like my number two for sure. I guess, I guess I can forgive you <laughs> just like for now, you know, <laughs> I, I, I've respected too much to lie to you. <laughs> he is a soft spot for boomerangs and just sarcasm and lack of skill. Yeah. Yeah. Uh- <laughs> no, I always liked how Saga could hang in there with all these benders, you know. But um, we're talking about Toph, of course. So, what is your favorite, like your, what is a memorable Toph moment um, that that you really appreciate? Uh, I think there are many, obviously. Well, I think I appreciate that you like Saga as well because I think that there 
they, they serve similar roles. Sokka is very slapstick humor and Toph is very dry humor. And I think they just balance each other in whatever, you know, the situation calls for as far as humor goes. Um, and I really like uh, the library when they go to the library. And that's her first moment where you kind of see her falter. Because before that, you see her basically just winning everything um, underground. She runs away from home successfully. She starts teaching Aang. You know, there's like all of this, even though there's tension between her and Katara, she hasn't really failed yet. Uh, and that's one of the moments where she just can't do everything. And it's heartbreaking. And she's confused. And it's like, oh, she's a human. And like, she's now initiated into the into the gang a little bit because she had to go through something a little dramatic. Um, and so I really like that episode and that moment. I also like Tales of Bossing Say, where she's a little bit of a girly girl with Katara because I don't think she gets those moments often. And I think she does indeed like being, you know, admired or desired um, and being seen as like an attractive human, you know, even though she might not really know what that means or feels like in the same way that everybody else does with kind of sight being tied to it. Um, so yes, I appreciate those more vulnerable moments because most of the time it's just blind jokes and lots of aggressive bending, uh, which is great. We love. So. <laughs> yes, I, I really do think the blind jokes are, are very cute and quirky. I, I think they, they put them in there at the right time. And it's funny, oh, yeah. it, it's awesome you mentioned the library episode because I actually watched it a couple of days ago getting ready for this interview and that, 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 that is a good like kind of character moment when she is able to admit like no like sand is my weakness kind of like Anakin Skywalker but <laughs> yeah <laughs> like she does she doesn't do sand so she's like I'm just gonna hang out here and um yep. and, and the whole sad thing about Appa getting lost and then wow. Aang is really mad at her which kind of reverses yeah. roles because usually Toph is kind of angry at everyone else and but yep. it, it was like a growing time for her so I, it's awesome you brought up that episode granted I'm a Anytime that episode's brought up, like we were watching clips earlier this morning and like just the Appa being taken episodes hit me hard. Oh, Those, it's, it's just so, you know, they he never does any wrong. He's the reason he's carrying all of us, really. He's carrying literally the whole show on his back. So <laughs> it's like, we need Appa. It's, it's really sad. It, it's so sad. It's like he's just like a puppy, but gigantic. And so yeah. like it hits your heart. Now, we uh, asked some of our listeners on Twitter, and it was kind of adorable because um, the main reaction we got was, oh, my daughter loves that character um, from each person who kind of gave us some questions. So, Justice, would you like to um, introduce for Jesse a little bit of our Twitter questions from the daughters of the Pod Wars listeners? Yeah, so we have um, the first ones from Conversations, which were part of a network um, called Red 5, and so they wanted to know, uh, or the daughter wants to know, what's your favorite Toph line? Favorite Toph line? Uh, funny enough, just from the episode that we were talking about, um, I think this is one of her stronger uh, blind jokes where she's like, look, there it is. <laughs> that's what it'll sound like when one of you spots it. You know, that's just everyone else so excited. <laughs> that's one of my favorites. It's so good. Um, and I, you know, anytime... I, I call somebody a name, whether it be Sugar Queen or Snoozles or Twinkle Toes. I, they're just so good. I, I have so many names for people <laughs> on the show. So, yeah, those are probably my favorite tidbits. My favorite top line is, is I am Melon Lord. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that's a popular one. Uh, that was definitely 
probably the first line that I started kind of being in love with. And now it's just become like a staple of mm. Toph across the board. I mean, speaking of, we, you know, have these, you can't necessarily see them, but like Melon Lord hoodies, that's, that's what we, you know, oh, ended up making because it's so popular. Like Melon Lord is Toph, Toph is Melon Lord. They're one and the same at this point. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. That is something I wanted to mention is, is, is your online store. You run um, an online kind of Toph merchandise yeah. store called blind bandit right bandit basics yes oh oh yes <laughs> he, he just wants something blind in there yeah <laughs> so that's very cool if you want to get some awesome tough merch that's what i find is is like i really want to rep my love for av like avatar the last airbender but there's really not a whole lot of good merch out there except for for some weird ones like between Aang yeah. and and katara and and then like funko pops which i mean funko pops are awesome so right we love Funko Pops. <laughs> now, an another one coming from Twitter. Um, again, a listener's daughter here. Um, coming from at Jedi for Liberty, his daughter asked, how do you identify with Toph? So, first of all, we're both very stubborn. Um, I, however, am not, you know, the, the descendant of a royal family, but uh, she <laughs> is very um, set in just kind of how she feels. And I think she inspires me to be a bit more upfront and open with how I feel because she doesn't really apologize for anything. Um, and that's kind of how I want to be. And I was more so that when I was younger. And as I got older, I started like apologizing more, uh, especially as like I grew into like a woman. Um, and so, yeah, when I was younger, it was definitely like, oh, great, we're stubborn and we stay, you know, say how we feel great. Uh, I also happen to, these are just like side, you know, I guess little tidbits, but I do like to run around with no shoes on. Um, I do like cool shoes, but I very much do enjoy like running around, uh, you know, barefoot when I can. Um, I also have horrible eyesight. I am not blind. I'm not going to claim to understand the hardships of being blind. However, if you take my contacts out, it doesn't work. <laughs> Nothing. I can't, I can't drive. I can't see things in, on my desk. I have to like shove something right on my face in order for me to see it. So um, there were moments where I would wake up and I'd just be like, oh my gosh, why can't I see anything? And I was like, oh, right. I don't have my contacts in yet. <laughs> I feel like that, you know, she, she was born blind. So she never had those moments where she could see and then couldn't. Uh, but yeah, there were definitely moments where people like ask me something in the morning if I don't have my, my glasses or contacts, you know, on or in. And I'm just like, I, I can't see. I was like, why are you showing me this? Well, I don't know what you're showing me. So yeah, those are more realistic, uh, I guess, comparisons, but mainly, mainly the stubborn and opinionated side, uh, for sure. <laughs> Yeah, and I I love how I mean you kind of hinted to this too. On Toph really starts out heavily with that stubborn, opinionated, and strong type, and it's kind of like her character arc softens her throughout the show. Like you get near the end where, like you mentioned, the sand scene where she is a little bit more vulnerable, or say when they had like the major battles at the end where Sok has to save her, which he's not used to being saved. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think, kind yep. of her, about her progression as a character? I think that she finally didn't have to fight where she was and who she was. Uh, at the beginning, she was like, these people are, you know, temporary. Um, I'm still, I can still only rely on myself. That's half of the reason why she was so, you know, 
head to head with Katara the whole time. Cause she was like, I'm taking care of myself. I carry my own weight. I'm doing my own thing. I'm not here for a long time. Uh, and finally when that started to break down and you know, she realized, Oh wait, this is kind of my family. This, this, these people are my family now. I think she could settle a little bit because she was so used to just faking it at, at home, uh, you know, being somebody that she really wasn't, that she felt she had to keep doing that for a while. So I think you kind of watch her soften up a little bit and finally be like, okay, I'm comfortable. I know these people aren't going to leave me. I'm not going to leave them. Like we're here for each other, literally ride or die. So that's, <laughs> I think that that's kind of what happened internally for her to finally be a bit less abrasive. Um, and yeah, and trusting. I don't think that end scene, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? She's up in the air. She doesn't know what the heck's going on. Um, yeah, it's pretty, pretty crazy, but I, I think it's nice <laughs> that she didn't stay as abrasive as she started. Um, but obviously in Legend of Korra, that kind of goes back, uh, I feel like. So it's kind of interesting. And I'm, you know, had lots of discussions about that transition from end of Avatar to her being, you know, chief of police and where her children came from. And there seems to be some tension there as like, you know, she was as with her parenting style. Um, so yeah, I'm curious if, she didn't take it so well with everybody, you know, when everybody grew up and kind of got married and started families, maybe she missed that original, you know, kind of vagabond family structure. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Lots of hypothesis you know, for what happened in between, but yeah, that's, that's what I think. Well, do you think that her progression as a character in Legend of Korra is kind of what you expected out of Toph, um, kind of being there from the beginning? Or is it something that you, were there parts where you're like, huh, I didn't necessarily think that would happen? I think that there are multi a multitude of ways that it could have, you know, laid out for, for everybody. Uh, I think what was written makes total sense. I think it could also have been, you know, plenty of other ways. But I think that you can easily trace you know, aligned to her becoming chief of police and then maybe not being the best or most empathetic mother. Uh, I think those are all very realistic traits that, you know, could happen. Um, would I choose something different? Probably not. I don't, I don't know what I would put that would be better per se. Um, but yeah, I think it's realistic to, to, to say that she probably wants to be in control. That's what makes sense as far as being chief of police goes. Uh, she doesn't want to follow anybody else's rules, so she's going to be the one making them. That's That makes sense in my head, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, and then as far as just a traditional family structure, similar thing, I just don't think she's good at being tied down. I don't think she's like, oh, yes, I'm just going to have my house and we're going to just sit here and live our lives. That doesn't, you know, that, that doesn't how she works. So it makes sense to me. <laughs> Yeah, how was it uh, returning and reprising that character that you played as a kid now as an adult then for Legend of Korra? Yes, so I played, I actually voiced my daughter, uh, Su Yin, in a flashback. And uh, yeah, it was great. It was kind of funny. I got uh, a call, it was junior year, I believe, in high school. And they were like, hey, we've got a kind of funny request, but, you know, would you, could you send us over a voice sample? Like, we want to see if this will work, but you might, you know, be able to voice your own daughter in like a flashback and we'd love to have you in again just to say hi. And, you know, it's been a second. So, uh, yeah, it was fun, <laughs> but it was great because it was very much similar. Suyin was just as sassy as Toph was, but with a bit more fashion sense. Uh, like <laughs> That's pretty much the only difference. So yeah, it was really cool to come back in. And I actually 
just started watching Korra uh, this year. I, I hadn't seen it. I've maybe seen like an episode or two, but I hadn't really sat down and like watched the storyline through. So I'm, I think we're into, I think we're into season three, the end, almost the end of season three. Yeah. I'm talking to my boyfriend. We're both, we're both watching it. Uh, so I still have, I still have a season left, but I finally am getting filled in on all the details that, you know, people have been talking about. And I was just like, I don't have TV. I'm in college. I don't know where to find this right now. I'll watch it one day. And now I am. So it's good. <laughs> So let's let's take a step back and go back to Avatar a little bit. Um, one thing I kind of appreciate is that this show has basically made a big old resurgence kind of recently. Why do you think it's kind of become such a beloved show and made such a return now to media? So, yeah, I think that, you know, even though this isn't the most ideal situation, uh, I think that everyone being kind of stuck at home and mostly, you know, watching lots of things on Netflix, HBO Max, all across the board. Uh, and the fact that it's so accessible on Netflix really helped for a lot of the new fans uh, that kind of resulted from this year. Because before, you could only really rent it on, like, Amazon Prime through, like, Nick Kids. Um, so I think that's a huge factor. And that a lot of old fans are like, yay, I'm going to rewatch it. Hey, guess what? You have no excuse not to watch this with me now because it's on Netflix and you're not doing anything. So come over here. You're going to watch it with me. Uh, so yeah, a lot of that. And I think it just, it was the timing. And with without the year being the way it is, uh, I don't know if it would have had such, I guess, a, a resurgence. I don't know if it would have been quite as big um, as it was. Yeah, I can testify to that. I actually never watched it as a kid. I I would see it was on, and I'd be like, "What the heck is going on?" Because because yeah, I I think we're the same age. So like, I would have been the same age, and would have been like totally for my for my like my demographic. But I just never got into it. And so when when quarantine hit, I asked the guy, I asked the guys on the pod, I'm like, "What's the anime I can try to get into?" Because I've seen Death Note, and that's about it. And they're like, they're like, watch, Ava oh, yeah. they're like, watch <laughs> Avatar. It's an easy American anime. And then like, I fell in love with it as a 26 year old. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Plus, I'd even add into that. It has like, I know it was big for you, Evan. How it's it's a good one for you to watch with your kids, but also enjoy mm -hmm. as an adult. Like, there's oh, a yeah. lot of there's a lot of heavy themes in the show. And rewatching it as because. Yes, I am also 26. We are the same age. Uh, Rewatching <laughs> as an adult, you see so much. I feel like you see so much more and so much less. Like I was focused on so many other aspects. Not that the others weren't there, but I was just focused on different ones than I am now. Um, and it's it's really an all ages thing. And when I was kind of growing up, people were saying that, and I was like, sure, sure. Like maybe they just. I don't know, like cartoons or they're just saying that because like they're being supportive, whatever. But I was like, no, no, this is really like a timeless, ageless story uh, for anybody. It can be kids, parents, grandparents, your random aunt from Sweden. Like everybody can find something to appreciate about this show. It's really cool. And I think you can only really appreciate that as you watch it again and again as you get older because uh, it hits you different every time. It's yeah, it's a cool experience when when you finally sit down again and you're like, oh, this is my third time through. I know exactly what's going on. And you're like, oh, wait, I didn't notice that last time. And then it's like a whole new experience. Yeah, it's really cool that like another great aspect of the show is that it stands up like the animation is still, you know, really crisp, really clear um, and still very enjoyable. It doesn't like hold anyone back 
when they're watching it. Um, but you were talking about like there's different aspects that you can pull out. And there's one of them that I kind of want to talk about is that obviously like Toph is blind. So um, and I don't know if there I don't think there's a lot of blind representation, you know, in media nowadays. The only thing that I can really think of is maybe Daredevil. Um, but he's like a broody, you know, superhero vigilante and your character is obviously like a female, young female character um, who, you know, is using slapstick com- comedy to cope maybe with uh, her blindness. So how did that really affect the way that you like spoke your lines and, you know, portrayed the character? Well, I think the, you know, <clears throat> I've mentioned this uh, a couple times, especially in person with um, some lovely blind fans at cons or fan mail that I get is that she's not represented as somebody with a disability and it's not Mm. that she it isn't addressed it's just that she doesn't present herself as a victim in any way uh and so usually in not usually but oftentimes in scenarios there are characters who are like oh like i need help or i need you to to help me with this uh there's some sort of i'm in a lesser position of power and that i need to depend on somebody else and nowhere does that really show up? Uh, it's it's not how she is first introduced. Um, that's not who she develops to be. So I think the biggest thing, which obviously Mike and Brian are to thank for this, uh, but is that she's just another strong and necessary character. In fact, this so-called disability is what makes her stronger than anybody else in her bending class. And without that, she probably wouldn't be the best earthbender. Um, like I can 9.9 out of 10 say that she wouldn't be. So it's, I think that it was just this very fine line between, oh yes, she's blind. And, you know, and what about it? So I think uh, how she just, her, her vocabulary and how she presents herself is kind of the already done. And so when I come in to voice the character and read those lines, it's, it's from a place of comfort. And the way that she was written on the page, just, it almost comes off. Like I had to, it was really easy in the best way possible for me to come into the booth and kind of speak life into her because she was already written so wonderfully. She's so set in who she is, even though that may include plenty of, you know, flaws on paper and moments of weakness, sure, where she doubts little things here and there, but there's never a point where she feels like sorry for herself. And I think that is the biggest key to, you know, writing characters in the future and writing characters in other series and the fact that so many people reached out and are like, she was so inspiring. Like she changed how I thought about myself and how I thought about how I could live and how I could function. And I'm like, yeah, and she, she should, and you should feel completely comfortable and not at the mercy of other people just because you're different for something. So Lots of words, but Mike and Brian are primarily to thank for that. <laughs> right. It, it's it's cool having it where, you know, she's like, I feel like maybe in um, our society where, you know, we're, we're kind of like we tiptoe around when it comes to disability and like how we handle those people. And there's no tiptoeing around her like this is who she is. And like she's going to ex- like um, and, and I think another great thing is like she's able to experience this adventure that they're all going on. And um, it doesn't really like I'm. There are times where, you know, sometimes it holds her back, especially with the sand scene. But like um, having the opportunity to go on this great adventure um, with someone who, uh, you know, can't see is, is, I think, a really cool and compelling concept. Yeah, it really is. I also love how because there's a very fine line between good 
comedy and offensive, and they do a very good job yes. of making a disability funny, <laughs> which is such a tough thing, I think, to do, especially in a kid's show, you know? Yep. Such a tough thing to do. Ha, ha, ha. Sorry. <laughs> so this is my big question. I already told you that Sokka is one of my favorite characters. Toph is one of my favorite characters. Yes. And so there's moments... Um, you know, we'll forget an age gap, but I feel like there's moments where Toph and Sokka could almost be an item. What What are your <laughs> thoughts on that? Uh, yes. So I have, you know, grown growing into the the fandoms and the different you know ships that have been pitched. Uh, I am. I'm not saying that it should have been rewritten or that taking away Suki or anything like that because she's amazing and they're a great couple. But I do think that there are some you know, Taka vibes, uh, definitely in the show. And I appreciate them and like to think of this little alternate universe where maybe that would have happened. Um, I think that maybe Toph could have had feelings. It was never explicitly said. But I mean, you know, where she thinks Sokka's saving her when she's in the water. Yeah. <laughs> a little telling, just a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, but I also think that there's a difference between like, you know, deep love and a crush. Uh, and I think it's very easy, especially when you're traveling with people. And if, you know, he's the other funny person in the group, uh, she's probably like, you know, fond of hanging out with him and appreciates his sense of humor. So I definitely think that she had a crush on him, whether she was like pining after him forever. I don't know about that, but I think she definitely had a crush. <laughs> well, I admit I haven't seen all of Legend of Korra either, but I can almost swear there's a scene where like they go to Toph's place and there's a picture of Sokka in the background. And, what? And I'm like, <laughs> one, I can appreciate the idea of her having a picture, and two, it's again a hilarious <laughs> blind joke. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe when they were visiting, like he put it on the wall himself just to like be vain and silly or something. I mean, or she could, you know, I don't know. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm at least glad a few people agree with me on this, um, this fan theory. Yes, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> how, how is it, though, like, interacting with the fans and whatnot? Like, I'm always curious, like, is... I, I was watching earlier uh, their convention with you and the um, voice actor for Sokka, and, like, there was a bunch of people. So, like, is it, like still a bunch of fans and all that stuff? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, we had a couple of conventions lined up to go to this year. Actually, we were supposed to go to Hawaii, which would have been so cool. Oh, bummer. Uh, yeah, we were supposed to go in May, uh, but everything was very much shut down at that point. So, yeah, hopefully next year. If not, maybe 2022. I don't know. We'll see. Fingers crossed. But uh, meeting with fans in person definitely takes the cake. I mean, I love receiving fan mail and love, like, you know, doing the bandit basic stuff and have people like be like this is so cool like thank you for doing this like whatever write this on my photo or something like that but uh yeah i think there's just something different about talking to a room of like 800 people um whether they're there for you or the people right after you it's still cool a lot of them still interact uh if even if they're not atla specific fans um and then just the the signing whenever you get to talk to people one-on-one -on -one and they're like look at this art piece that I drew look at this like you know sculpture that I made and like then I want you know they want me to sign it or they have like Dante's signature too and I'm like oh hey like that was 
you know, he was at this place and I was at this place. That's so cool that you like got to see him too. You know, I don't know. It's just the one-on-one interactions are just so cool because uh, you get to see a tidbit of who this person is, why they like the show, uh, and you know how they kind of made their way to that moment in time with you. So yeah, I miss that, and I'm looking forward to it when we finally, you know, open back up, get everything, get everything back. <laughs> Do you have a, like a, a favorite fan interaction that you've had in the past at conventions or a favorite question that somebody's asked you from some of these interactions? Uh, there was actually, so I, I cosplayed as myself in 2014 at San Diego Comic-Con. Um, and I, I wore my Fire Nation outfit. I decided the night before. It was very last minute. But I was like, I'm going to Joanne's. I'm getting red fabric and I'm going to be tough this weekend. <laughs> and uh and it was great. It ended up working out really well. I actually very much committed, and I walked around barefoot around all of San Diego. Um, I don't think that that's technically legal. I'm not really sure what rules I broke that day, but I was very much barefoot on the streets, in the convention like center, in restaurants. Like I was definitely breaking protocol. Uh, but anyway, during that Comic-Con, there was actually a very, very on-point uh, soccer cosplay, and he... His hair, his face shape, uh, his skin tone was all like scary, scary accurate in just matching. Uh, And his outfit was great. His boomerang was real and also great. So I was like, wow, they're Toph and Sokka are here. And so it was great because we kept running kind of past each other throughout the day. And then it just became like a little bit where it was just like, hey, Sokka, you know, hey, Toph. And he would like throw something and I would like not see it. You know, it was just, it was great. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so yeah, it was, that was just like a, a highlight because his cosplay was so, so good. And it was great that I happened to be dressed up as tough as well. So it was cool. Did you make the cosplay then all yourself then? You said you just went to Joanne Fabrics or did you like find just one offline? Oh no, I, from scratch, I pulled, pulled up my, uh, I think it was, was it my mom's? We were staying at a friend's house and I can't remember if it was my friend's mom or if it was my but I pulled out a sewing machine and like did some very loose measurements and just put together the little kind of jumpsuit and then those little uh I don't I don't know what you call that it's like a shawl shawl hanging thing and then like her belt and all that no I made it I made it all from uh what'd you say a poncho I guess maybe but it's not really but kind of yeah <laughs> love it <laughs> um I, I I'm wondering um when you guys are you know recording the episodes and not whatnot are you guys all in the same room talking together or are you guys going in at different times like is there like this really cool like collaborative process when reading lines so ideally there you know can be multiple of us in the recording booth i think they tried to have as many people as possible in one recording session so a lot of times it would be maybe me and jack or me and may me and dante um i know that jack and may would record a lot together because you know they're together all the time um but it, oftentimes it just depended on people's schedules. I was in school, so usually I would come like right after school, kind of at two thirty three, um, and then they, they everybody else was adults. So maybe they would come in the morning, maybe they'd come later afternoon, kind of up in the air. So it just depended on the schedule. But it wasn't hardcore like you're recording alone or like everybody has to record together. Uh, they just ideally they would have more than one person so we could feed off of each other's energy. But if not, eh, you know, alone, alone it is. <laughs> Do you feel like you're able to still keep the energy up even alone or was it a little bit tougher with that? It was a little bit tougher. Um, it wasn't like 
absurdly hard because uh, like I mentioned, they usually had some of the animation done. So you got to at least see kind of the energy of the scene play out on screen in front of you. So that helped a lot. Uh, also, it helps because there's usually more than just one person. It wasn't just me and then Andrea but giving direction. There was also like sound engineer. Oftentimes Mike and Brian would come in and listen for a little while. My mom would be there. So there were people in outside of the booth, like in the little listening area. Um, yeah, so that was helpful because I would be like, all right, there's nobody in the studio with me, but I can look out at you and just kind of like give these lines to you as opposed to like think about saying them to Jack next to me or something like that. Uh, so yeah, that was kind of, I guess, a my boost, my energy boost, if I needed one. <laughs> it's just looking, using those people as like my scene partners. <laughs> now, before we get into kind of the last little bit here, I, I, I'd like to know if, obviously you might, you're probably partial towards earthbending, but if you had to choose the, either the Hogwarts houses of airbending or <laughs> firebending here, which of the other ones would you go for? Well, I, I, and I do say this, I'm definitely a split between earthbending and firebending. Uh, I am born in August uh, and have a lot of energy and very much am a Leo. Um, so if you're into that at all, uh, Leos are very fiery, like attention and energetic kind of performative side of things. Um, so I'm also, like I mentioned, stubborn, opinionated and kind of actually an introvert. Um, funnily enough, it gets very confusing whenever I'm like, I want to be on stage, but also like, ah, so many, there are all these people that I have to deal with. <laughs> it's like both. Uh, so yes, it's, it's a combination deal, but fire would probably be my, my backup. That's like, that's my next one. But yes, you are correct in that I am partial to earth, but not just because I voiced Toph. Uh, I very much enjoy going outside, being in nature, climbing rocks, climbing trees, um, I'm, in, I'm into the earth thing as well. And, and of course, the barefoot helps. Yeah. <laughs> and then and then you could probably bend, bend magma, which would be really cool. Yeah, just casual, you know. <laughs> when I'm in Hawaii, that's what I'll be doing. Yeah, when you're in Hawaii, <laughs> whenever the heck this is all whatever over that, with. Whatever that is. <laughs> yeah. Now, for I guess to give our little round this out here, I, I'm wondering... With your performance and kind of the story Toph tells, what is the, maybe the one lesson, one takeaway you'd like kids to take from watching the show, especially with Toph? So I think actually my answer falls in line for both the, you know, a lesson from the whole show and for like, you know, Toph specifically. Um, just that, you know, being your 100% authentic, true self is really just the best way to get the most out of life, the most out of yourself. Um, you know, it'll leave you the most comfortable. It might be uncomfortable because you might have to, you know, make new friends, lose some old friends. You might go through and just be like, oh, this is not the environment for me. Uh, but the more that you just kind of follow your intuition and know like, all right, yeah, I'm on the right track or you know what? I need to do something different or, you know, this is what is, I'm actually meant for. Um, the more you can really listen to those voices, I think the happier you will be. And I think that that's getting trickier and trickier, especially in today's world. Just you're connected to so many other people online, so many different versions of life and living um, that I think it can be overwhelming to like know which one you want to do. <laughs> and so uh, I think that, yeah, just kind of unplugging and really listening to that inner voice of like, hey, 
I don't want to do this anymore. Or like, actually, I really want to, I really want to pursue this, or I want to move here. Uh, you know, all this, all those voices inside, listen to them. Because uh, that's probably the the most authentic thing we've got at this point, because you've got plenty of other people online that'll tell you what they think. Um, but at the end of the day, it really, really just matters what's going on inside. So that's probably the biggest takeaway for like kids, especially with like Instagram, TikTok and all sorts of other madness going on. Uh, yeah, <laughs> listen to the inner monologue. <laughs> but we would just like to thank you again, Jesse, for joining us on the show here. Um, where can our listeners go to either learn more about you or see some of your avatar or non-avatar based stuff? Yeah, so I am, speaking of social media, I am on Instagram. <laughs> so uh, I, I also just started a TikTok like a month ago. It took me a second, but then I finally, speaking of inner monologue, figured out like kind of how I would I want to be on TikTok and for a while I was like I can't keep up with all these people and their hair and their dances and all this stuff what's my version of like TikTok what would that be what would I want to do on my page so uh Instagram I'm at Michaela mostly because my real name is actually Michaela haha um and on TikTok my username right now is actually blind bandit bb like bby because literally every other username like related to my name or to Toff was just taken so blind bandit bb is my <laughs> username <laughs> and that one was free um and if you yeah we're going into the holidays we actually just launched our uh, merry rockmas haha bundle on banditbasics.com um so we've got like a cute magnet some greeting cards and, like an ornament and a cute like long sleeve tea like fun things they're so they're great stocking stuffers or gifts for people if you want some avatar related stuff uh yeah, so that's that's me. <laughs> awesome. And like usual, everyone, you can get in touch with us at Podwars Podcast on Twitter or ask podwarspodcast at gmail.com. And everyone have a great week. For our sound check question of the day, cats or dogs and why? Oh, wow. Is that your go-to question? Or well, is that... It's either that or <laughs> pineapple on pizza. And Ooh. But most of the time, we just get people verbally deriding the pineapple and it gets... It wears us out. Oh. Well, it's funny because I actually like pineapple on pizza. But I'll stick to the original question. I appreciate that you can be busy with a cat. Like, if you have a dog, you have to love it or else it's going to get sad. You can't, like, be too busy. I feel like I can just ignore it. And cats are like, I'm going to do my thing. I might say hi, I might not, and I feel like that's more in line with my current state of life. <laughs>